What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Gadget Reason Radio here on Anchor FM. My name is Sean. I'm your host, and it is Tuesday, the day after Labor Day. So if you guys uh, didn't get a chance, you can uh, check out my episode from yesterday of the Labor Day edition of Tech Download. And uh, I had a couple of uh, cool little thoughts on some things going on in the tech industry right now. Um, But let's go ahead and jump in with today's breaking news stories in the tech world with today's Tech Download for Tuesday, September 5th, 2017. So I found an interesting article today on thenextweb.com talking about how Google Drive has become a popular alternative for pirates to use for, um, you know, basically leaving links to pirated content. So, you know, obviously pirates have uh, been faced with a lot of challenges over the past, you know, year or two. Obviously, we've had, uh, you know, kick-ass torrents was taken down and uh, there's a whole bunch of other torrent sites, uh, torrents.eu. and uh, Torrent Hound, there's just a whole bunch of torrent sites been falling left and right. And then, uh, you know, even the Pirate Bay, which is still kind of around, has faced its own ups and downs since the uh, founders were uh, sentenced to prison over in Sweden. So, um, it, you know, basically, I think pirates are just finding any outlet they can to host any kind of illegal content. And it looks like Google is just the latest cloud storage platform to fall victim to a lot of this pirated content uh, link sharing. And it looks like Hollywood Studios have hit Google with nearly 5,000 takedown request for files hosted on its cloud storing service in the last 30 days alone. So, you know, clearly uh, it's starting to get the attention of not only the uh, people over in Hollywood, but, you know, obviously now Google is having to pay attention to this as well. Um, So they're using a bunch of different loopholes to try and get through any kind of uh, sort of automated process that Google might use for trying to prevent this type of piracy using Google Drive. And uh, basically they're using a workaround where they're linking uh, linking media files to embedded YouTube videos to avoid detection. I'm certainly not condoning piracy at all, but the real fact of the matter is is that if the uh, recording industry and the MPAA want to cut down on piracy, the best thing that they could do for themselves is to stop being so damn greedy. And, uh, you know, listen, there's no reason why a digital version of a movie that I purchase on Amazon or through iTunes should cost about the same price as if I went out and purchased that uh, in a physical format. When you think of all the logistics and costs that are associated with traditional delivery of content, so um, you think about a Blu-ray DVD, it has to get um, mastered and then put onto a master disc that thing has to be sent out for replication in the millions of copies. Once it's been you know, produced into you know, millions and millions of copies, then it has to get sent out for packaging and there has to be printing and design that goes into creating the boxes. And then those individual boxes of DVDs, once they're all printed and packaged, have to be then put into bigger boxes to be shipped all around the world or all around the country in containers, either on trucks, planes, boats, whatever. And so when you think about all of those things being removed from the equation, there's absolutely no reason why uh, you know, most movie studios could not deliver a digital version of Wonder Woman um, for about, you know, 10 bucks. And, and that should be $10 to own it outright, to, to permanently own a digital uh, HD copy of Wonder Woman or whatever the latest, greatest uh, blockbuster hit movie to come out should be, should be relatively cheap because they're saving a ton of money. But they're trying to maintain their enormous profit margins and greed levels. And because of this, they're you know making uh, some people say, 
you know, give them the middle finger and uh, and pirate this stuff. So, uh, you know, I, I think if they really want to cut down on piracy, they're going to have to reduce their greed levels. But that's the uh, that's the end of my rant on that subject. So um, good luck to them. And uh, hopefully Google can get this under control so that they're not faced with uh, bigger problems like lawsuits and other things going forward. Let me know what you guys think about this. Do you think that Hollywood and the recording industry are still charging too much for digital content and they've just failed to adapt with the times? Or do you think that their prices are perfectly reasonable? Let me know. So early reviews of the LG V30 smartphone have been pretty positive, and especially when it comes to the camera. The camera has been getting huge praise from just about everybody who's gotten their hands on a uh, review unit for one of these devices. Now, there's been some speculation and some discrepancy around exactly what is making that camera so great. And one of those things is the aperture of the camera. There's been some reports that the LG V30 has a camera that has an aperture of about f1.6, and then others are reporting it as f1.7. So there's been some speculation as to why there's a discrepancy between those numbers. So today, LG decided to address the controversy by announcing that it did include an f1.6 aperture lens on its newest smartphone, but they disguised it as f1.7 to give them a slight competitive advantage. The announcement from LG stated that before unveiling a new product, LG Electronics safeguards confidential and proprietary device information by masking the true values of important product specifications. Some production preview sample devices recently distributed featured non-final software, which maintained masked information with regard to the aperture of the camera. The LG V30 features an f1.6 aperture camera and glass lens, an industry-leading innovation. So there you go, controversy averted. The uh, LG V30 does indeed have one of the best apertures and one of the best cameras in any smartphone. And uh, it just seems as though they wanted to keep that secret as long as possible to avoid anybody else trying to one-up them before the V30 was actually released. I haven't got my hands on the V30 just yet, but I'll definitely be putting it through some tests once I get mine. And I'll be comparing it to things like the Essential Phone, as well as the iPhone 7 Plus and other devices, just to see how the camera really does compare firsthand. Speaking of the LG V30, it looks like the pricing for LG's latest smartphone has been leaked a little prematurely, and it looks like it's gonna be priced significantly lower than something like the Galaxy Note 8. So it looks like the approximate pricing here in the US is gonna be about $749. Uh, which should come out to about 800 bucks after tax. And that's definitely a hefty chunk of change you're saving over the Galaxy Note 8, which is priced at about $930. You know, you have to consider the fact that obviously the Note 8 is uh, a phone that's, you know, in its own category in the sense that it has the, uh, the S Pen and... Uh, it has some unique features that you really can't compare. It's also been already reported to have the greatest smartphone display that's ever been made by most people's standards. So um, I think that the LG V30 is an outstanding value for a six inch um, near bezel-less smartphone, especially one that has a camera that's getting as much praise as the V30 is getting currently. So I think that you know this is gonna be something that can compete heavily with something like the Essential Phone or even the OnePlus 5 or any of those phones that people have a tendency to buy just off contract or in another means than just going to your wireless provider. 
Obviously, with all the US carriers now having gone to a no contract sales model that requires you to basically lease your phone through monthly installment payments, it gives people a lot of different options on the way that they pay for their phones now. If you don't want to use your carrier's payment plan, you could also put it on some type of points reward credit card. And uh, or if you're someone that has uh, really good credit, you can possibly get a no interest credit card payment for a certain amount of months until the phone is paid off. So you definitely have a lot of different options than the traditional way that we used to do it, which is signing a two-year contract and then expecting to pay, you know, $199 or $299 for a phone. So it's definitely gonna be interesting how all this plays out with the iPhone's new pricing reported to be extremely high, especially if you're going for the sort of X model or whatever they're gonna call their, their top tier iPhone for this year. And uh, it's, you know, looking at monthly payments for a phone that costs about $1,100 is going to be significantly higher than what most people are used to. So people might be looking for alternatives and the V30 or something like the Essential Phone or even the OnePlus 5 might be options that people would consider. So let me know what you guys think about the price of the LG V30. Do you think that they were smart to price it at $749 or do you think that people will just continue to flock to the big two, Samsung and Apple? Let me know. So here's something kind of cool. Gigabyte has announced that they've made the tiniest GeForce GTX 1080 graphics card ever made. Now, for those of you that are into building custom PCs that have maxed out specifications and can play all the latest games at 4K resolutions with the settings cranked up to their highest levels, um, obviously right now the GTX 1080 is kind of the go-to card to have. And uh, one of the problems that comes with building these fully specced out machines is usually size. So if you're like me and you have any interest in trying to build a decent spec gaming PC that's a little bit smaller and something that wouldn't look completely out of place sitting down in your home entertainment unit next to your television, then this should interest you as well. Nvidia has obviously been using this incredible new technology that they have to shrink down gaming laptops with its Max-Q graphics initiative, which is basically a set of design standards for creating a much thinner, much um, easier to carry around gaming laptop, but without compromising on specs. So it seems as though some of that uh, technology and heat dissipation technology is starting to trickle down into even full-size desktop graphics cards. The new Gigabyte GTX 1080 card comes in at just 16.9 centimeters, which is about 6.7 inches, which is nearly four inches shorter than a regular model GTX 1080. So this can be tucked in really easily to a mini ITX case, and uh, it can give you the opportunity to build a really small but super powerful gaming PC that can handle things like VR and 4K uh, graphics. So that's pretty awesome if you're into that kind of thing, because I know for me, uh, some of these new graphics cards are so enormous that they barely even fit into my full-size uh, ATX case sometimes, just the way that my hard drive bays kind of sit very close to where the end of the card will line up. It doesn't leave a whole lot of room for anything else. So pretty cool. Uh, I'm interested to kind of check it out. I'm sure the pricing, which has not yet been announced, is not going to be any cheaper just due to its diminutive size. If anything, you probably bet you can pay a premium for the fact that the graphics card had a lot more engineering and research and development that went into making it this small without overheating. Speaking of overheating, that's one of the main factors of concern when making a full-powered graphics card this small, but Gigabyte used copper composite heat pipes and a 90mm fan uh, with a custom blade design to help dissipate all that heat and keep the sound of the graphics card when it's running extremely quiet. So it seems as though even though this is a fan-based uh, cooling uh, as opposed to liquid cooling, it still should remain pretty quiet according to Gigabyte. 
I'm really tempted to grab one of these just to give it a serious test next to a full-size GTX 1080. So if that's something you guys would like to hear about, then leave me a comment or call in and let me know. Moleskin has announced its next paper planner, which uses the LiveScribe pen system, is now going to sync automatically with Google Calendar and Apple's iCal. Now, this is really cool and something that I'm definitely going to be purchasing to test out. I love any technology that mixes traditional media formats with you know, new technology. A lot of people still love the idea of taking handwritten notes on a real piece of paper with a real pen, as opposed to doing it digitally with something like the uh, Apple Pencil or the Surface Pen with the Surface Pro. And this is kind of the perfect mix for those people. This new system from Moleskin uses the Moleskin Pen Plus in conjunction with a special planner booklet that works in conjunction to be able to sync all the handwritten notes directly to your calendars. Both the LiveScribe pen and the special paper in these planners is required to get the system to work. The system will be available worldwide September 12th at a price of $199 or $29 for just the planner for those people that already have a LiveScribe Pen Plus. There aren't too many details about exactly how the syncing will happen, so I'm definitely gonna test this out because if it's a seamless and a very fast process to get all of this syncing to take place and it's accurate and it syncs quickly, then this could be a real game changer for people that don't really like to fully commit to digital platforms and still like the feel of pen on paper. So let me know what you guys think. Are you interested in something like this or do you think it's just as easy to use something like an Apple Pencil or the Surface Pro Pen and do it all digitally? Let me know. The Xiaomi Mi Mix 2 has reportedly been seen in the wild, and it looks pretty much spot on to what all of the leaked images that we've seen floating around for a while. This is a phone from one of the largest manufacturers in China. Um, they're definitely getting a lot of attention over the past few years in terms of their design and their uh, just their overall quality and competitiveness with all of the other big name smartphone manufacturers from around the world. And uh, you know, I really wish that the Xiaomi phones would come to the US even previously, when you could get some of the Xiaomi phones into the US, they weren't fully compatible with US networks. So I would love to see them make an international version of the Mi Mix 2 that's available for just about any US carrier, uh, because I'd love to test this thing out and see how it holds up. I mean, just from the looks of it, it looks to be every bit as good as something like the Note 8. It's a 6.2 inch display with a 2960 by 1440 AMOLED screen, six gigabytes of RAM and a Snapdragon 836. So that puts it just a bit above things like the Essential Phone and the OnePlus 5 that are still using the Snapdragon 835 processor. It also has a 4500 milliamp battery to make sure there's enough juice for probably more than a full day of heavy usage. And then you combine all that with the fact that reportedly it will be shipping with Android 8.0 Oreo pre-installed right out of the box. Now, those are some pretty big wins for a relatively small name manufacturer to pull off. So I definitely am interested to see what the international reviews of the Xiaomi Mi Mix 2 really look like. And I'm still holding out hope that possibly it'll be compatible with at least Verizon here in the US so that I can test it out. Let me know what you guys think. Do you think that there is room for another big name smartphone manufacturer here in the US? Or do you think that it's just gonna continue to be dominated by Samsung and Apple? Let me know. For anyone out there looking for a high-powered photo editing application, but not fully ready to commit to something like the Adobe Creative Cloud subscription in order to get something like Photoshop, you might be interested to know that Pixelmator is now launching Pixelmator Pro, which is an AI-powered Photoshop alternative for your Mac. 
You know, I've mentioned a couple of different Photoshop alternatives in the past couple of weeks, and it may sound like I'm somehow anti-Adobe, which could not be further from the truth. I've had a full-on Adobe Creative Cloud subscription for years now as a professional graphic designer and artist, but the reality is, is that while they are really essential apps for a typical professional working in the creative field, it's just not feasible for everybody to pay a monthly subscription that Adobe requires to get these tools. But at the same time, a lot of people are looking for something that can give you some Photoshop-like features. So Pixelmator has done a really good job over the last few years in creating a pretty full-featured application. And now with Pixelmator Pro, they're looking to step things up even further. The editor promises many of the features you'd expect in a high-end photo editing app and possibly even going a bit above and beyond that with things like the AI technology that's involved in making this app function. One of the key features that I think people would be interested in in Pixelmator Pro is that it is a non-destructive type editing, which means you'll always have the original version of your original file left fully intact. So any changes you make, whether it be something you wanted to keep or something that you did that you don't like, you'll always have your original non-destroyed version of that image to go back to. The AI or the machine-based learning tools that are incorporated in Pixelmator Pro use Apple's Core ML framework to make it all come together. Things like a repair tool that can intelligently remove or replace whole elements of an image with natural looking results are some of the things you can expect with the machine-based learning. You're probably looking at a price of around $30, which is a steal for software with these types of features, and it'll probably get released sometime in fall, probably dependent upon when macOS High Sierra gets released, because High Sierra is when we'll see the first implementations of Metal 2 and the core ML libraries and APIs. So if you are looking for some full-featured photo editing software but don't want to pay for Photoshop, definitely keep your eyes out for the latest version of Pixelmator Pro. That's going to do it for today's tech download. Thank you once again to everybody who's favoriting the station and continuing to tune in every day, as well as to everybody who's subscribing and listening via the podcast. Thank you very much. If you haven't already, please go ahead and find me on social media at Gadget Reason and follow me there as well. And be sure to tune in tomorrow where one of the things I'll be discussing in the tech download is why I purchased a $1,500 skateboard and I still think it was a good investment. So there'll be that as well as the best from the daily tech headlines for the afternoon. And uh, that's going to do it for today's show. Thanks for listening and I'll talk to you guys tomorrow.